0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. Grass-fed beef raised on California's Central Coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com.
2: This week on Meet and 3, we dive into the science behind munchies, the history of coca, the therapeutic powers of psychedelics, and mushroom-infused recipes.
3: One of the biggest questions we get
1: asked a lot is, does heat degrade psilocybin?
2: The coca leaf was used as a sacred plant, so as a plant that could communicate human beings with gods or mother nature.
1: What you can start to appreciate here is that cannabis is activating and hijacking the system throughout the body.
2: Tune in to Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Today, I'm speaking with Allie Bonner, founder and CEO of Queen, the organic nut and allergen free granola butter that has been called something like a creamy version of cinnamon Teddy grams. Queen is quickly becoming a cult favorite and is available online and at Whole Foods and on Amazon and a bunch of other stores. Allie, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. We've been planning this for a long time.
2: Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
3: Um, I still can't believe it's so good for you. That's all I <laughs> want to say. It's like, it's like Nutella and Speculoos and like really good almond butter I had a baby.
2: Nice. You That's know? what we're going for. So. Yeah,
3: <laughs> but it's really it's it's like free of everything. Not great. I mean, it's it's awesome. So well done, well done. Um, before we get into the product, let's do a little bit because I know that your backstory is, you know, a big part of the company and why the company came to being. Um, so I'd love to talk about that a little bit. And I know that you grew up in San Diego. I know that you um, studied nutrition. And my from my research, that nutrition studying kind of turned um, into mm-hmm. something a little bit darker for you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean my my goal was never to start a food company. I actually, um, the reason I started studying nutrition, as you mentioned, was sort of all for the wrong reasons. So mm-hmm. um, it really stemmed from my obsession with, you know, controlling my body and eating perfectly clean all the time. And I just figured that the more I learned about food, you know, maybe I'd be able to conquer, you know, my cravings Mm. and all this stuff. Um, And so it really goes back to, yeah, just my obsession with losing weight and making my body smaller. Um, And so I think, you know, I've kind of pinpointed that from just years of, you know introspection and and looking back at sort of what led me to this you know issue with food and um i think part of it was you know growing up in san diego i was you know grew up played volleyball um very active but was surrounded by these you know really sort of tall mm-hmm. long lanky women i was libero um which is like the shortest person on the team and right. so <laughs> many of my friends were you know 5'11 6 feet tall at yeah. you know 14 15 years old and so they had grown up you know um These growth spurts seemingly overnight, and so lots of them were you know pretty underweight, and so that was just my perception mm-hmm. of what the the female body was supposed to look like and yeah you know, I was naturally pretty muscular and you know a little more built and like stocky, and so mm-hmm. I just remember comparing my body to theirs you know very early on, and that 's kind of where the obsession I think started yeah. um and then of course, just being you know growing up in this you know, fat phobic culture that really, you know, um, prizes thinness and and idealizes that kind of mess with me mess with my head. And so
3: um,
2: that's where the, you know, interest in studying nutrition began. Um, But I was actually pre med for most of college and, um, you know, didn't plan on going into food or anything like that. And so the idea for granola butter came out of my eating disorder recovery. So Um, you know, a few years out of college, I had this moment where I was just like, enough is enough. You know, I had been so obsessed with every little thing I was putting in my body and we can touch on that more too. I'm I'm very open about it, but, um, but it wasn't, yeah, there was, you know, growing up, I thought there was only anorexia and bulimia and it was these two boxes. And I really didn't feel like I fit into either of them. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, even just appearance wise i you know weighed the same amount i did now i wasn't this you know sort of stereotypical like frail underweight woman um and i was just very obsessed with like the cleanliness of my food and just how right here the ingredients are, which we now know, you know, to be orthorexia. But at the time, right. no one really, everyone was just like, oh, you're a nutrition student. Like you love salads. Yeah. <laughs> you love being healthy. And I was like, so it was a perfect actually disguise for me as well. And um, that was kind of
3: right about, I mean, based on just sort of the timing I'm putting together. I mean, I feel like that was, and, and there is still a huge sort of chunk of Instagram that, that I think kind of pushes that agenda, whether, you know, I don't think these women intentionally Mm -hmm. are doing that most of the time, but it's definitely sort of, you know, I mean, calling eating clean or not clean is so disturbed um, in in so many ways, but it does feel like that was the influencer thing for the first couple of years, you know, that, that was it.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it is very disturbing. Um, And I was so deep in that, you know, so I started my Instagram account in 2017. So that mm-hmm. was a few, but definitely, you know, a few years before that, I really got into this Instagram mm-hmm. hole of, you know, quote unquote wellness and, right. um, and just my perception on all of that has changed so much over the years, which we can also talk about. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was very much this like, you know, very narrow-minded privileged view of what it means to be a healthy person. And yeah. yeah. And so that really messed with me as well. You know, I had a huge complex around good versus bad foods and tying my morality to what I ate. Um, And so I ended up a few years out of college, as I mentioned, ended up really pursuing recovery because, you know, I just remember my rock bottom. Yeah. Did you
3: have a moment where you were like, okay, like I got to get my life.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I mean it was a series of moments. Like I think you kind of think of the stereotypical, you know, woman like on the bathroom floor crying and I definitely had many of those moments, you know. I mean, I've done it all and again, very open about it, you know, eating out of the trash, um mm-hmm. abusing diet pills, you know, abusing Adderall, um cocaine, like things in college that, you know, most people did for fun recreationally, right. I was just like, you oh, it suppresses my yeah. appetite. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, try to make myself throw up, can never be bulimic because I just couldn't do it. Um, All of these things. And so, but those actually weren't my rock bottom moments. It was, um, I was at dinner with some girlfriends and I had been abroad with them, you know, hadn't seen them in a few years, was so excited to get together. We were at this super cute restaurant in San Francisco and we sit down and like, immediately my mind just starts racing to, you know, what's the healthiest thing on the menu? Mm -hmm. Um, How much are they eating? Are they going to notice how little I'm eating? Just all this noise. And I just, I remember leaving that dinner and just thinking to myself, like, I didn't even, Remember a single thing we talked about. And I was so upset with myself because it was like, here I was, you know, trying to catch up with girlfriends. And I got home and I ended up binging because, you know, I didn't feel satisfied with what I ended up eating. And it was just this whole cluster of like, you know, me realizing that I was watching my life pass me by. And I was in my early 20s and I was just like, I'm doing this to myself. Like, You know, it's almost like when you have a hangover and you can't, you have no one to blame but yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Because you're just like, I am putting myself in this, you know, prison, this mental prison. And so that was really when I was like, all right, like, you know, something has to give. And so I ended up reaching out to a woman who I found on Instagram, ironically, Mm -hmm. um, because she was just so approachable. And I had never had experience with therapy or anything growing up. And so she just seemed like someone that, you know, I could tell my issues um, to and so worked with her for a little bit and you know really started my instagram account as a way to document my recovery journey and also just you know encourage me to get back in the kitchen and start playing with food again i think right. for so long i had just feared food. And so it really actually provided this beautiful medium for me to just get messy and, and play with food, which is, you know, really the genesis of our company and, um, and our mission with granola butter. Um, right. So going back to your question, so granola butter <laughs> comes into the picture. I know it's like very, I can't tell this story short, but. <laughs> no,
3: by the way, there, you don't have to. You can yeah. just take all the time in the world because it's <laughs> yeah. a great story and it's it's really interesting, I think, for people to hear
2: yeah, um well, thank you. Um, and so granola butter comes into the picture because you know I had, fear foods so many fear foods because i was obsessed with you know good and bad mm-hmm. and something i was afraid of for so long was peanut butter and almond butter mm-hmm. which is weird because now you know it's like this health halo of all the, right. the keto people and whatever and um but i was terrified of the calories and you know how dense it was and all of that and so didn't eat it for a really long time ate pretty low fat for a while and so part of my journey was you know adding these fear foods back in And when you do that, you sort of go through this honeymoon phase where, you know, you just eat everything because you're like, you haven't had it for so long. You're like, oh my God, I can have this again. (laughs) So I was adding almond butter and peanut butter onto like everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was zero to a hundred and my gut was just not happy, not a happy camper. Um, It's a lot
3: of It's a lot.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It is. And like, especially for someone like me who had been treating my body like shit, you know, effectively just binging and restricting all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think I wasn't well equipped to handle those things in that amount. And so granola butter really came out of my need for something nut free that, you know, tasted really good, had some good nutrition to, you know, help heal my gut and just keep me energized and full. Um, and there really wasn't anything on the market that I resonated with, you know, there was seed butters and soy nut butter and, to be honest with you, I just didn't like the taste of any of them. And the um, thing is, is that there's something very, it does
3: feel like indulgent. Like to the extent that you were, because I think the context of you having like fear food, you know, and mm-hmm. then because you've created this thing that's very, it's, you do feel like you're indulging when you're like smearing it on something or, you know, gooping it yeah. onto like a yogurt parfait or granola or whatever. It, and, and it, there's like a lusciousness to it, mm-hmm. um, which, no, I think is really kind of interesting in the context of it's not like an almond butter, which is I'm going to go perform. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get on my bike now or, yeah. you know, something I'm going to like squeeze into my mouth because I need quick energy and it will keep me full. There's something about this that's like more fun than that, which exactly. I really appreciate. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that really is our goal moving forward too. I think so many companies now who have jumped on this wellness bandwagon and we, I mean, for sure we still say, you know, oh, we're gluten-free. We're only three grams of sugar, all of that. It is important to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but I think brands sometimes take it so far where they don't remember why people eat food, right? right? Like if food tastes bad, no one's going to continue to eat it. Like it is, you know, baseline food has to taste good and make you feel a certain way and feel good. Um, And so for us, I think that's really what we're trying to remind people of is like, you know, yes, there's almond butter and peanut butter might have more protein than granola butter, whatever. But sometimes, you know, it's about just enjoying something Mm -hmm. and having like a moment to yourself and just, you know, indulging as you mentioned. So yeah, I, Yeah. I, I think that's important.
3: And I think this brings up a lot about sort of, you know, the word function, right? Like functional foods and functional benefits and you know, something like 36% of American consumers are on some specialty diet of some sort, whether Mm -hmm. they only eat meat, or they never eat meat, or they never eat gluten, or for like the three people out there who only eat gluten, you know, and, (laughs) and I think that the again, you're right, like the food industry, the wellness industry, you know, I mean, I'll admit it. Like we, you know, we just did research to figuring out like which of our sauces are keto friendly. It was mm-hmm. never something that I was that interested in. Honestly, I just wanted to make a really good sauce that would help you make dinner faster. But now we're getting tagged by, you know, people who are like, and it's keto friendly. And I just wanted to like make sure. And now we're really discussing, like, does this go on the package?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: it, it because it's just it is. It's like one of those things that right now is not going anywhere. You know, people want the functionality. Um and yeah, then exactly. there's like there's a space for indulgence, right? But um I don't know. I, I think it's 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 an interesting point. It's something, you know, I think we're all thinking about. You know, I had I had um I've had cookie people and biscuit people and, you know, ice cream people. And, you know, there are very few companies right now that are just kind of like, listen, this is just fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a better for you version because it has fewer, you know, chemicals and it's made with cleaner, quote unquote, you know, types of oils or flowers or whatever. But it's not, we're not positioning this as like a wellness food, you know, it's still a biscuit. Um, so you've managed to straddle both, which is which is really cool. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, I think it's like an ongoing balance because yeah. I totally feel you. Like I, w- I I think we're in the same boat. Um, and it's like I go into Sprouts and I see, you know, I walked by the sparkling water section the other day and they had I a keto sign it's so, in front I of the sparkling water. And I'm like,
3: <laughs> I'm like, it's water. Right. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and I yeah. mean, I get what they're doing. Right. But at the same time, it's like it just puts all of us, you know, food companies and makers in a weird position, especially mm-hmm. when, you know, like yourself, it's like, you just wanted to make a delicious sauce. But right. once you put slap keto on the package, it does something to your brand where,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: it attracts a certain group of people, but it also may, you know, I guess, turn away, you know, another group of people who are like, oh, like I, they have an association to keto. It's very right. polarizing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. <laughs>
3: So I also know, so you did not, you, you basically, you were getting healthy and healed at the same time that you were working in San Francisco. Is that basic, the right timeline or is that yep. the wrong timeline? Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's when I really started. Um, I would say it wasn't like a, you know, few month process. Oh, it definitely it is it's still ongoing, but yeah, it started when I was working in tech in SF.
3: And then you kept that job while you were starting Queen,
2: Mm -hmm. Um, which,
3: you know, is funny because we talk about that a lot on this show because I think that people don't, I think there's this, and everyone who listens to me regularly has heard me. So I'm sorry for sounding like, you know, a (laughs) broken record, but there is this sort of like obsession of the last couple of years with being a founder and sort of this like entrepreneurship worship, C- combined with sort of a, um, you know, empowerment at all costs. I feel like sort of a uh, zeitgeist, meaning that everyone's kind of told you go and you live your dream and you do you. The problem is that sometimes you quit your job and you go and do you, and then it doesn't work out. And then mm-hmm. you're kind of like, well, what the hell just happened? So I kind of talk a lot about, it's a real privilege to be able to just start a company, whether you are financing it yourself and you're raising money from friends and family and not having income coming, you know, from something else. That's, it, it's unusual and it's a, a big privilege. Um, Definitely. You did it sort of i would say not to be like too judgmental but the smart way <laughs> where <laughs> you you know you you dabbled but you kept your day job in case it it didn't work and i'm curious about what the what that time was like like what were you doing it it was around 6 months or a year or something like that like what were you doing in that time to see okay when I hit this milestone, that's when I'll quit my day job. Or like, was it a moment where you're like, okay, now I really have a business, so I'm I'm ready to take the leap. Exactly.
2: You know? Yeah. No. And I I appreciate you sort of defining the difference between the two. Cause you're so right. It's like you go on Instagram, you see all these people who, you know, just start their companies because they want to put entrepreneur in their Insta bio and like, they don't realize, and because it, it's so glamorized and it's just, I, I mean, I feel like I scream it from the rooftops on my page, but I'm like, this is not sexy. Like this is yeah. the hardest thing you will ever do. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes to a fault where people are like, do you even enjoy it? And I'm like, yes, it's so fulfilling. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I'm like, it's so hard. Um, yeah it's not sexy. And you know, I'm still not paying myself. So we, right. I paid myself briefly when we got our PPP loan that one time, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm the way I'm, you know, supporting myself is through Instagram being an influencer, hate right. that term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, an influencer, so I work with brands and they basically pay me to promote their products, right? Um, but Which prior to that, wait, sorry, so something
3: yeah. I actually kind of glossed over because that's actually a huge part of this in the sense that you were you started this kind of journey on Instagram documenting it, and then that I'm my guess is you did not in any way plan for that to take off and you to become an influencer. Oh no! Of, of anything, right? And oh, then no. you were able to then leverage that influence, essentially, and in your community into launching a product, um, yes. which is a really cool trajectory. And I, uh, I don't think I've had anyone on the show who's had that, who's had that arc. Um, cool. So I guess going back to sort of the the quitting the day job, I am kind of curious about that, but I'm also kind of curious about. Um yeah, I guess all of it. The timing, yeah. what, what you know, when you kind of had the idea, were you were you thinking about a product or were you thinking uh, okay, I should leverage this into something like kind of what was happening at that time.
2: Definitely, yeah. Um I'll just take you through all of it. So, um <laughs> so for anyone listening that doesn't follow me on my personal account, which I'm sure is most of you, um <laughs> is um I started my Instagram account as I mentioned earlier just as a way to, you know, get back in the kitchen, document my recovery a little bit. I never in a million years thought that I would it would be my full-time job. Like I would see some of the, you know, some of the bigger accounts, some of the bigger influencers who had been in the space for a while. Um, but I just never that was never in my you know, purview. That wasn't something that I wanted to do. It was, I didn't even really realize that you could monetize on social media, um, which is crazy now because everyone is trying to do that or doing that. Um, But really the reason that I started it was just, you know, I thought maybe I could get, you know, some free, like healthy snacks or, you know, that was (laughs) kind of like, I was excited about that. That was like my big, you know, milestone. Um, And so I started that as I was working in in tandem with working in tech, so I worked for a health tech company um, called Doximity. They're sort of like LinkedIn for for healthcare professionals. Amazing experience, like loved. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are like, "Oh, I hated my day job." I actually was thriving. Like I loved, you know, working in the start startup scene. Um, my boss was amazing. Everyone I worked with was phenomenal. And so it wasn't this thing where I was like, you know, drudging through my day, um, you know, punching the clock. It was really just it kind of all fell in my lap and I had to decide what, what do I like? What do I enjoy, you know, more? Um, so I was working in tech in sort of a product, you know, marketing type role, Mm -hmm. um, got a lot of great experience there, but, you know, was so excited to, you know, get home and type up my next Instagram or create my next recipe. Like I was so passionate about, Instagram. And so that's kind of the first moment where I had realized like, you know, Oh, I thought I loved my job, but I was always thinking about, you know, growing my account and Mm -hmm. you know, what was the next recipe I could make? And so I really was a lot more passionate about that. Um, and so granola butter came into the picture about a year after I had started avo queen, um, which is my account. And so at that point, you know, I had just launched it to my sort of little launch pad of followers. Cause I thought, I mean, I wasn't planning on actually creating a company. I was just like, this is a cool idea. You know, no mm-hmm. one has done it before. Um, and my boyfriend, Eric, who's now my co-founder and partner, yeah. he, you know, is very entrepreneurial. Um, he was working at Accenture in consulting at the time and he was just like, no, we have to do this. Kind of the one that was really pushing me. Like, this is such a great idea. Um, and so at the time I had like 15 to 20,000 followers. And so it was like a nice little, you know, test pool of people. That's amazing. Yeah. I
3: mean, it's like the best sort of research you can do. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, just launched it on on e-comm on Instagram. And the response was just insane. Like people. You know, I was kind of nervous because obviously no one had ever done it before. And so I was like, well, maybe this is a terrible idea. You know, all the (laughs) self-doubt comes in. You're like, why has no one done this before? (laughs) Um, and, And so people loved it. They understood the concept immediately. You know, I barely had to explain it. And all of a sudden people are posting about it, blah, blah, blah. And so it starts to kind of take off and Press Juicery was actually our first big account. Um, And I had just reached out to their editor. They have, you know, the Chalkboard Magazine, which is their online publication. Mm -hmm. I'd reached out to their editor and just said, hey, you know, love to send you some samples. Thought maybe she'd do a little like PR piece on us. Mm -hmm. And then one thing led to another and they're, you know, head of, uh, R and D reaches out and is like, Hey, I happen to try your product on, you know, so-and-so's desk and (laughs) we want (laughs) to add it as a topping on our freeze nationwide. And we're like, Oh, okay. Um, what? Like, I don't even know.
3: You don't even have like containers that big probably. Right. I mean, do you you even have capacity to make that?
2: I mean, and that's the thing, like you understand, it was like, we were just, yes, girls. Like we were saying yes to everything, you know, and then figuring out on the, on the, you know, back end. Um, So they were our first one. And then shortly thereafter, we actually got into Whole Foods. And so at that point was when, you know, I just wasn't doing either job well. Um, And my boss, you know, Right. And all, you know, all of my coworkers and my boss followed me on Instagram at that point. So they had seen like, oh, you launched a food product. Like, (laughs) where is this going? You know, kind of like, what's the game plan here? Um, And I'm a really, you know, hard worker. And I I never, like, I was very clear from the beginning, I didn't want to bring, you know, my side hustle into my day job, just because I also just, you know, I Mm -hmm. had so much to do during the day. um, I really couldn't afford to do that. And so I was just, dead. Like I was working so many hours a week. My friends were like, where did you go? You fell off the face of the earth. Um, so ended up leaving my job a little over a year ago. So really worked side hustled yeah. it for about a year. Yeah. Um, and then Eric, you know, luckily was working in consulting, which was a little more flexible. So he was able to leave <laughs> a little bit later, um, and kind of was better able to balance the two, but yep. yeah, we've only been at it for about a little over a year full time, which makes a huge difference by the oh, way. Just- yeah. Um, But I do want to, yeah, I do want to mention, like, it's such a privilege to be able to, um, you know, to leave and do it full time. Because like you said, it's just some people aren't able to, you know, if you have a family or you're working multiple jobs to support yourself. Like, I think if I didn't have my Instagram, you know, support um, income, then I really don't know what I would, you know, do. I'd probably raise money before we launch or whatever. But it's really tough, I think, to bootstrap and, you know, support yourself.
3: No, all all good points and all really interesting, and we're going to get um, into all of the different things after a break. Um, so I'll be right back with Allie Bonner from Queen.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today. Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August in select whole food markets throughout California and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles and now HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef that's L-A-R-D-E-R Meat Co. Dot com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com.
3: I'm back with Ali Bonner from Queen, that amazing, creamy, delicious granola butter that I'm just now like salivating a little bit thinking about. <laughs> um, okay, so there's, there's, there's so much. And, and first of all, like, Thank you, um, you know, just for your honesty and for being out there with, you know, your your recovery story. I think, you know, just the more people that can, you know, make all of this stuff normalized and, you know, share our vulnerabilities and we all have our, our skeletons, you know, the, the more that we can kind of Talk about them and share them. I feel like the more good we're putting into the world. So you are definitely putting good into the world and it is appreciated. Um,
2: Oh, thank you.
3: And um, in terms of the product, now here, there, so there are two things that you said that I want to follow up on. But one thing that I read that I'm curious about is that. You you were talking about how you use principles from the tech industry um, that you had learned when you were working in health tech, like your you know most viable product, um, and basically the idea is that you know you you don't wait till it's perfect. You put out something that's good enough. You get a lot of good customer feedback, and then you iterate on it as many times as you need to. Um, I'm curious about that in real life with a you know the difference between tech is that it you know you're not buying nuts and sesame seeds and you don't need to like Mm -hmm. produce something that people are ingesting um and i'm curious about sort of like how you how you use that that theory and then applied it to like a food item
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> I would say there's no granola baking in tech, um, <laughs> unfortunately, but yeah. So Eric and I, as I mentioned, both came from the tech um, scene and actually our third co-founder who I haven't mentioned yet. Um, his name is Ari and he went to summer camp with Eric growing up. So they're sort of childhood friends, um, but he comes from the fine dining space. So he worked mm-hmm. at Nomad in New York and some other Michelin star restaurants. Um, so not the tech scene, but also very important to our business. And mm-hmm. um, And so Eric and I both, you know, really wanted to use the Lean Startup, you know, sort of ideology and principles in our business, especially the beginning stages. Um, And but as you mentioned, it's so much more difficult um, with a product. So. Our first product actually um, was collagen granola butter. Mm. So because we really wanted to make up for the lack of protein, you know mm-hmm. that we weren't getting because it was nut free, and people loved it. We actually had collagen for the first year. Ended up um, bringing on, you know, a vegan like original without collagen for all of mm-hmm. our vegetarian friends. Um, but I mean, that was definitely, we, you know, that was our MVP. We just got that out the door and, you know, got a bunch of feedback from people being like, yo, I'm vegetarian. Hey, I, mm-hmm. I don't eat meat. What about me? And yeah. we were like, oh my gosh, you're right. And so, you know, iterating on that and then eventually actually phasing out the collagen because um, we wanted to get kosher certified as well as just seeing the trend with plant-based and sort of going in that direction. And it was also like, you know, who needs collagen in their granola butter? Really? Like right. it only yeah, added like all things to everyone. Yes. You know, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was at the time when collagen was really popping off and we were just super excited about it and mm-hmm. it was a very flavorless, you know, easy protein addition. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was very popular on Amazon actually, I think, because people just, you know, are searching Looking for, for particular protein. keywords. Yes. Yeah. But, um, Anyways, but I think for us, I mean, really my biggest piece of advice for anyone who's thinking of starting their own thing is like you mentioned, just don't wait until it's perfect because I mean, as a perfectionist, a self-proclaimed perfectionist, <laughs> like it will never be good enough for me. Even our current recipe, yeah. I'm like, eh, like there's just so many things that I think could be improved. Um, but I know that, you know, the longer you wait to launch, like if I had waited, you know, another six months, like another granola butter probably would have come out or you talk yourself out of it. There's just so Mm -hmm. many obstacles that, you know, I think come up, um, the longer you wait. And so, um, in terms of just iteration, we really, you know, relied on customer feedback. So for us, you know, using social media was a huge tool. As I mentioned earlier, just on Instagram, I mean, we were even doing polls in the right. beginning on Instagram stories like, you know, hey, do you guys like the name Granola Butter? Or mm-hmm. do you like a name similar to Nutella or Kleenex, you know, like Granolux, like something that's more trademarkable? Right. Um, and then people would vote and it was like 99% liked Granola Butter. So we kept that. Yeah. And just stuff like that, really using our customers, um, totally. you know, to kind of get as, Immediate as feedback as possible, and I think Um, that's
3: one of the things you know. Not only with the sort of lean, you know, is there the potential of opportunity cost not doing it, but I think people are so scared to put something out there. I mean, I am, I am terrified. I'm going to put something out there, and people are going to be like, "Oh," and I'm never coming back again. You know, (laughs) but for the most part, like the people that love you or that they, you know, they're excited and they'll give you good feedback, you know? And, and so it's, it's such a positive putting something out, you know, that's, it's it's not that it's gross, but it might not be like the perfectly perfect end result because you get so much feedback. And as, as smart as we all think we are, and as many of our friends and family that we are asking for their thoughts, the people that are going to tell you the truth, are those customers that don't have to go to Thanksgiving with you, you know, exactly. that are, that are going to give you like the real, I'm curious about the collagen though, because I would think that it you, that people would be psyched about making up for the protein piece, especially these days, but it just wasn't enough people that cared about the protein piece or was it affecting the, like the texture of it and that bothered you? Like, why did you decide to phase it out?
2: Yeah. I mean, no, people loved the collagen. It's something that I think, you know, down the line, we might explore bringing on for just like an online only or something like that. But Um, I mean, yeah, the most important thing for us, just because we really want to do some R and D collaborations with some other brands. So like, you know, a swirl in a big ice cream company, Mm -hmm, um, or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. We, it was really important to us to be kosher. Um, so that was a a really big one. And then also just, as I mentioned, like the plant-based trend, I think was really going that direction. And we were ready for a huge backlash when we, you know, discontinued collagen, um, (laughs) to be honest with you, it was, it was a very popular skew. We discontinued it and we only got maybe a handful of right. emails about it, which was really surprising to me. Um, cause as you know, people are very, you know, very okay. passionate yeah. about their collagen. <laughs> um, but I think what we realized was just, you know, people aren't going to stop eating granola butter just because there's not collagen in it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's yeah, sort of totally. nice to have, you know, it's like having adaptogens or whatever in your product. And I think what we really wanted to do was again just simplify simplify. Like I think our product is so unique already that, you know, we don't want to yep. complicate things by having these like crazy matcha, you know, whatever flavors. It's like just keep things simple and do what we do really well. Yeah. Um yeah, which is kind of why we went that way. No, it's
3: a very good idea. It's it's almost like if we decided to add, you know, you know, new tropics to our tahini. Like right. we're already trying to change consumer behavior and like introduce something new into the world that adding another thing on top of it just because it's kind of the thing of the moment or because there is a group of very strong, very vocal people who want those things. Um, But I think that's a really good way to look at it. They're not going to not buy it because it's not in there.
2: Exactly. So actually, and I
3: really like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's tough too, because we're experiencing this with the nut-free piece because yes, our product is nut-free, but you know, as we scale and as we start to, you know, eventually want to go to a co-packer um, or at least outsource part of our productions, so maybe the granola baking, it's really tough to find something, someone that can do it completely nut-free. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have to shift from, you know, made in a dedicated nut-free facility, which is our current facility to, you know, potentially made in a facility that processes nuts. Yeah. And, you know, how is that going to affect our customer base? Um, especially as many of them choose our product because they have nut allergies. Um, but then realizing, you know, it's such a small subset of the general population and we want to become a big household name. And so, yeah, it's just those sort of conversations where it's like, you know, the allergen-free community is so vocal. Um, And so it makes it feel like they're your entire customer base, but really, you know, they're a very small subset.
3: Yeah. And it's funny because I was reading what you said also about, um, like, I remember when we were looking for a co-packer, anyone who had sort of pouch-filling capability was didn't want to get anywhere near nuts and seeds and allergens. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we have tamari in two of our skus. We have sesame. You know, we're like, we have cashews. We have almonds. Um, so anybody who had sort of pouch filling tended to be baby, um, and they didn't want to get near us with a ten foot pole. Right. And <laughs> then anyone who had HPP, they didn't have pouch filling. So we like it was real that, you know, creating something that doesn't exist um, is amazing, right? It has tons of upside, lots of opportunity, really fun, innovative, creative. But one of the like very brass tacks challenges with it is when you do get to a point where you're making it in a bigger scale, we could not find anyone to make it. And I wasn't going to build myself an (laughs) HPT processing plant for like however many millions of dollars.
2: Why not? That sounds (laughs) so fun.
3: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we ended up partnering with a co-packer who built us the pouch filling line essentially in exchange for some equity in the company. Mm. Um, And that was really the only way we were ever going to do it um, because it just did not exist. I mean, I got like, lists from manufacturer, you know, the people that make the machines, I got the lists of who in America owned the machines, like who bought the machines.
2: Oh my! God. And I was
3: going through like alphabetically, like who in America <laughs> owns a high pressure pasteurization machine. And there are not that many. Yeah.
2: So like, Girl, I got, I you. You know,
3: yeah, I got like midway into the alphabet. And I was like, I called them like, hello, you know, and they're like, yeah, we have that, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, wow!
2: But it I is love kind of, the hustle.
3: yeah, I mean, you know, I do think that going upstream is always, is always a good idea, especially if you're doing something new, because they're going to be, there are going to be packers that don't even know that they have the capability to do what you want. And you're just going to have to incentivize them somehow to take the risk to, to make it, you know, or yeah. to build it or to invest in that you know capex to build whatever that new widget is that they need to put on the thing um but are you at the point right now where i mean so going back to part two when you got the press juicery um order and you knew whole foods was coming on were you able to fulfill that out of where you guys were making just what you were making for online
2: Yeah. So luckily, I mean, both of those really started when we were at our old space where Mm -hmm. we were literally in a it was just, it was early days. It was a shared commercial kitchen, like, you know, pay by the hour type of thing, Mm -hmm. which was perfect for us because I mean, as you know, in the beginning, there's just no way to even predict Mm -hmm. how many orders you're going to get. And so we didn't have that fixed cost of overhead, which was amazing. Um, But we've been in our current facility here in San Diego for a little over a year now, I believe. Right. Um, Right about a year. And we share it with one other company. They're like a barbecue, like meat company. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a whole, you know, our whole side of the kitchen um, and everything that we, you know, create and operate um, is all like dedicated top 14 allergen free. So we have our own machinery, obviously, right. and ovens. But um, we are actually in the process of we're going to be moving um, next month to a, our own dedicated facility. Wow. Um, yeah. In Philadelphia, which we're really excited wow. about. Wow. Are yeah. you moving
3: or are you staying yes. in California? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, you are. <gasps>
3: yeah. Wow. I just I got filled. That's very yeah. exciting. Very no, random. Yeah, no, but that's very cool. And, and, you know, it, there's a big discussion, you know, and it really depends. So this is not advice for everyone listening, but like there is a real discussion about like, there are some massive assets to having your own facility, um, especially, you know, once you get to scale, right. And mm-hmm. And you grow into it, you know, co-packing, It has its own challenges and you don't own your own process, you know, and so um, so you're going to be basically building a facility in Philly and then hiring people to make it and package it and the whole kit and caboodle.
2: Yep. So we, well, we, curr- I mean, we currently do everything, you know, in-house, so it's not going to be that big of a difference except, right. and the place we're moving into, um, it's, I mean, much larger, obviously, yeah. than we yeah. are now because um, we're kind of busting at the seams, but um, it was actually a bakery. It was another food company that got acquired right. and they do very similar, like, you know, baking and, and right. blending That's and all great. of that. So really kind of the, you know, pre-existing framework is already there. Like we literally just need to move in with our ingredients right. and people (laughs) and furniture, which is nice. Um, and the reason for Philly is just, you know, cost of, of real estate. I mean, being in California, like, and you know, in New York, it's insane for commercial real estate. And so, um, yeah, so it's going to be an amazing, just sort of, Win win. Wow, um, yeah. But that said, I mean, moving cross country in the dead of winter during global pandemic. A pandemic like, yeah. <laughs> what could well, go wrong? <laughs> yeah. It's super that you're coming in time for literally when it gets
3: dark at three p.m. <laughs> and you, but you know what? You'll be so psyched in April when it actually starts to get sunny again and people emerge out of their caves and you're like, oh wait, I yeah. like spring on the East Coast. I so know. Going yeah. back to um, going back to sort of those initial more questions. Like, mm-hmm. did you have, did you kind of have to create a food service container? Like, do, I'm assuming you don't sell it to Press Juicery in the little, right. little containers.
2: Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, we sell to them in um, squeeze bottles. So yeah, I mean, we custom order everything for them. Um the squeeze bottles. And so that was something we had to, you know, figure out also just on the R&D side, like how does yeah. our product, squeeze. you know, work in a squeeze bottle? And there was yeah. some huge trial and error. You know, we were so nervous they were going to drop us because I mean, you've tried our product. It's not a smooth product, like it's pretty chunky. Right. Um, And just getting that through this little tiny squeeze bottle tip. And so there was a point I remember where they were having their employees like cut the tips in store because it wouldn't go out, you know, when not squeeze through the small little opening. It was just a shit show. Um, (laughs) And so we ended up finding that, you know, them keeping it in the warmer was really helpful for, um, you know, keeping things smooth. And Mm -hmm. then we found bottles with a larger, you know, hole opening and all of that, just again, the iteration was, was key. So um, yeah, so we had to create, yeah, custom squeeze bottles. But now, I mean, we work with other small, you know, acai cafes and juice bars and, um, like Earth bar now in in l a, and um we sell to them. And so the squeeze bottles have been great for those you know, other type of food service accounts as well.
3: And speaking about food service, because there's again, a lot of sort of discussion about it too, like are I'm assuming all of them are branded in the sense that this is a you know, it is driving volume, but it's also growing brand awareness. Um, is that actually no.
2: Yeah, actually, no. So pressed, um, we, you know, really pushed for that. Um, but it's hard to get,
3: it's not something that I would expect you to get.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're really lucky in the sense that we are the first to do a granola butter. And so, you know, we've created landing pages where, (laughs) you know, for SEO, if you Google pressed juicery granola butter, then we pop up. And I think just, even if you don't type in pressed, um, then, you know, we'll, or even if we didn't create a landing page, we would have popped up. But, um, so that's been really helpful. And so it's been sort of an indirect marketing channel in that sense. Um, and so a lot of times I'll get, you know, a lot of DMS or whatever of people being like, Oh, you're the granola, but like, I have Mm -hmm. tried you guys at press. So it's kind of a nice way to drive trial, but yeah, of course we would you know prefer to be branded, but I don't think they operate that way with um, their shopping partners? No,
3: very, very, very few do. Um, And it's always just a question of, you know, are the margins on the food service okay enough, you know, like to -hmm. do it, right? Like I feel like people either decide, okay, I'm doing this as a marketing thing, in which case I'm just going to assume I'm not going to make money really here, Mm -hmm. or they're doing it as a volume, Play right, so they don't need it to be branded because they just it's oh. filling the line and making more fill in the blank cookies or trips right. or, or salsa or whatever. Um,
2: yeah, for yeah, mm-hmm. no, go on. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say for us, it's definitely, yeah, more of a volume. I mean, our margins like they're definitely good enough that we're you know, it's better than break even, but right. um, but yeah, it's it's just something to kind of keep our our volume up and and also just boost, you know, customer awareness. The more people are seeing granola butter on menus, then yeah. the more they're going to, yeah, just have that education around it. Um, but going back to the branded thing, as I was mentioning earlier, I think a big push for us has been doing co-branded R&D collaborations. So, you know, working with other brands to do, as I mentioned, like a swirl in their ice cream mm-hmm. and then selling our product to them as a wholesale ingredient, yep. but under the condition that they'll co-brand us on their label. Right. Um, so there's a couple of brands right now. I, I don't want to mention their names cause we, you know, no, I, know. I, can I cannot
3: totally picture one of them. I can see it right now and I won't say it just because I don't want <laughs> to it into an awkward position, but I, I, I'm like, I know exactly what's happening and where <laughs> it's going to be and what the swirls and what the like container is going to look like. And it's going to be yeah. awesome.
2: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So that's been fun. I think that's like a cool, more marketing type mm-hmm. style way. Um, but yeah, for someone like Press, I think for us, especially in the beginning, it was just great to kind of get that volume up. Right.
3: And it's funny, right? Because, you know, I have friends who started cookie companies and now they're a mix-in for, you know, and they never they never thought of that as they're just so I think the thing is once you start the business and once you make it viable. You know, and you kind of get over that initial hump. And again, this all goes back to having margins that work, which people hear me say over and over and over again. Um, it, like there become all of these weird opportunities that happen. You know, you get calls from this guy who wants a, you know, granola butter for his, you know, chain of acai bars or whatever right. it is. I'm sure you didn't picture that. You just pictured Someone with a jar at home, spreading totally. it and, and making themselves happy. Um, and that's kind of the fun part. Like everything becomes, every business then starts to spawn like dozens of different businesses, you know? And then you start evaluating each one of them, you know, kind of in and of its own, you know? Oh, absolutely. If, yeah. you know, if you're not putting your name on it, then it, the why has to be different than brand awareness. In your case, it's a really interesting way to think about it though, because anything that's called granola butter will direct people back to you, which is really cool. Like anything called chimichurri will not lead people back to me. Um, right. So I think that's a really, that's that's another really cool way to think about it. Um, yeah. I also wanted to ask you about your market. And this kind of goes back to, You know, we all, I think, maybe not all, most of us build the product. (laughs) The doorbell's ringing. This is, you know, what happens when you do a podcast. My dog does the same thing. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, I'm going to close the door. So, all this is to say that. um, (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) <laughs> that you know, most of us build the product that we wish existed, right? And in your case, you're a millennial woman, you're interested in having something that was good for you, but also felt indulgent, um, that was good on your tummy, but also kind of had the same consistency. Um, you didn't realize, from my understanding, that there would be moms and dads that would be thrilled to have something to spread on their child with allergies toast mm-hmm. uh, or to make them feel good about a topping on their ice cream. Um, so I read that you were kind of having an interesting sort of moment where your messaging is so clear and it all aligns to who you've been talking to. Um, but, <sighs> sorry. It um, <laughs> was okay. Okay. But now you have a different group of people that you need to message to. And how does that change the way that you've been talking? And, and have you had to sort of change your Instagram or, or how you personally talk? Or that yeah. That's, that's got to come up, I'm sure, in some way, right?
2: Oh, and definitely. you have to choose
3: one audience or do you have a primary audience and then secondary, tertiary? Like, how do you think about audience, I guess?
2: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, when we launched, I really had no, I mean, again, I had no sense for who my audience was. It was just, Oh, I'm going to launch this to my Instagram, you know, followers and kind of see how they like it. Um, which was predominantly, you know, millennial health conscious women, again, many of them in recovery from disordered eating or any of that. Um, and so that was a very specific type of audience. And, I guess I always envisioned, you know, granola butter just being sort of in that realm of, you know, the millennial, um, health conscious brands. And it was just crazy. Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, as soon as we sort of, um, targeted this nut free audience and just, you know, started labeling it as nut free, all of these parents started coming out of the woodwork and, you know, I don't have kids. So I had no idea about, you know, all these schools being nut free. And so it was really something that we grew into and had to pivot towards um, just realizing what a huge opportunity it was and and white space to be filled. Because um, for anyone who doesn't know, there are a lot of Schools now that are transitioning to being nut free and, you know, peanut free, tree nut free, all of these things. And so for parents, it's like a nightmare to try and navigate, you know, when you're busy and trying to get your kids out the door and pack them, you know, lunch. I mean, I went to school so many days with just a piece of bread folded with just peanut butter in the inside, like, (laughs) which was fine. My parents just were both working and had no time. And so I just can't imagine these moms being like, you know, trying to pack something, being like, oh, I can't bring this, I can't pack this because, you know, know, it's stressful. And yeah. at the same time, you know, sun butter is the main um, spread that is allergen free. And just, you know, many, many kids, not to hate on sun butter, but a lot of kids don't enjoy the taste of it because it is a little bit more bitter. And, um, you know, it's just not as palatable, in my opinion, as granola butter is. Yeah,
1: for And sure. so <laughs> when we
2: came to market, yeah, parents were just like, oh my gosh, like, finally something my kid will eat. Right. Um, and so that was something that we had to sort of pivot towards and yeah, with the, with the messaging, you know, at first I really, I had that conundrum where I'm like, do I try and, you know, really change my voice and, and try and, um, you know, target these parents. And then it just felt so contrived. It felt like I was trying. It felt like so boring and just, you know, and I'm a very sassy person and just tell it like it is. And, you know, I I just, I think that's kind of what sets us apart on social media is it sounds like a person talking, not a brand talking. And I always want to be in charge of our social because it's just, I love it first of all, but also, you know, I think people really resonate with just that transparency and honesty in a sea of just these gentle wellness, you know, brand yeah. voices that are clearly from an agency or something. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with with outsourcing your social, but it does dilute, you know, the founder message and, and all of that. It's and also so your
3: key strength, right? I mean, yeah. You're clear, you have you're good at it. Um, you know, I have friends that are founders who should definitively not be yeah. Doing their social. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna say who, but he probably knows who he is. Um so anyway. Totally.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's no, I you're so right. And I have so many founder friends that'll be like, God, you know, I just hate it so much. Like, you know, how do I make myself like it? And I'm like, you don't like you outsource it, you find someone, right. you find an intern, you find an agency, you find someone that enjoys it and loves yeah. it. Like I just happen to love it. Um, maybe a little too much where I need to focus on more. <laughs>
0: know, <laughs> important yeah, sounds, things it
2: um, sound like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so yes, but going back to your question, I mean, I think there was a short time where I I tried to appeal to these audiences mm-hmm. and really, you know, your audience is gonna like the audience that, you know, relates to your message and your product will come. And um I think just being yourself is probably the most important thing. Yeah.
3: I, I totally agree. And you can't really be again, you can't be all things to everyone. And You've got to be super clear in your messaging. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, even people who followed along with Haven's Kitchen, like we had a cooking school and we had weddings and we had a cafe and we had, you know, all these things. And also we had some sauces. And um, it was very hard for us to just even know how to how to talk, you know, because who are yeah. we talking to? We're talking to someone who was traveling, to, who wanted to get married in New York. And we were making a place that, Felt like that's, oh, they want to get married there? Were we talking to a home cook who, you know, and then and then once you even start breaking now, now that we're just the sauces, are we talking to people who are really comfortable cooking and just want it to be easier? Are we talking to people who need more confidence in the kitchen? And each one of those, you you speak differently. The content is different. The way that you write a recipe is different. All of it's different. So I think honing in on, you know, who you're talking to, and, and what you're trying to say to them, um, you can't really go in too many lanes at the beginning. You know? Yeah.
2: And I think iterating too, again, back to, you know, bringing it full circle is yeah. really important. Like we tested out, you know, cause our product is oat based. And so we kind of tested out the Oatly, you know, mm-hmm. sustainability thing. And I, I remember creating some infographics about how much less water oats require to grow the nuts and all this stuff. And, you know, people were like, meh, like our yeah. audience was just like, eh, okay. Right. Like it's a nice to have, but it's not the reason that I'm choosing granola butter.
3: <laughs> and well, so no, that's
2: that's a great point. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah. And so it really was, and people love like the drippy, you know, mm-hmm. pictures, the recipe, like the food porn recipe, like recipe ideas people love, um, anything like that. And so, yeah, it, it was just really interesting to just iterate in that sense of like, what, content people really engage with and what other things people don't care too much about.
3: And that's the stuff that I always say to founders, like you can do that without any agency or intern or whatever. You go onto your Instagram and you say, have you tried our product? If so, what do you like about it? And basically, like, even if it's only 10 people, if eight people are like, I like that it tastes good. And two people are like, I like that it's sustainable. You've got your answer. Right, You know, don't really yeah. do much more than that. And, it, and it's fun because, you know, we're like, there are people that love our sauce and and knowing why they love it is, I feel like, the most important thing for us right now. It teaches yeah. us where we should go, how we should market it, what we should innovate. You know, if you don't know that, then you're just kind of like assuming. Um, yeah. And you, you know, okay, last question. Um, this has been, I mean, there's been so much and you've given really good advice, but is there kind of one thing that you wish someone had told you a few years ago or one thing someone did tell you, or if you had a megaphone and you could just sort of talk to every founder who's kind of where you were a couple of years ago, what would you say?
2: Ooh, yes. Um, I have three things. <laughs> I'll keep I'm them right. quick. Um, yeah, yes. So, first one, you know, being back to what we were saying about like, just don't wait until it's perfect, mm-hmm. you know, as, get it as good as you think it'll be and then just push it out there. Um, so important. Second one, I would say I really messed up in the beginning. I was like grinding, grinding super hard and just, you know, remember that it is a marathon and not a sprint Mm -hmm. and, you know, putting in, of course, there's going to be weeks that you put in tons of hours, but try to, you know, really prioritize as cliche as it is self-care and like, Mm -hmm. you know, your own rest. Um, because in the long run, it's going to make you much more productive actually. Um, I think in the beginning I was so afraid to take, you know, weekends off or even just one day, you know, one day of a weekend off. And, you know, even today, it is tough to have a full day where I'm not at -hmm. least like checking email or, you know, responding or whatever. It's so inter, you know, woven into my life, life. but Yeah. yeah. But, um, but at least, you know, taking some conscious, like, brain space like for me it's every morning I like I don't look at my phone until an hour after I wake up and that first mm. hour I move my body however feels good for me that day and it's just my time you know even Eric um because obviously we live together he just doesn't even talk to me like the first hour of the day That's amazing. because it's just like it's not him it's just I need yeah. my alone time no, um yeah like he was gone last week um traveling and I was like oh this is so nice and just no one talking to me it's amazing <laughs> yeah um and so that's really important. And then the third one, I would say, is find a support system. You know, for me, therapy has been yeah. so incredible, especially, you know, um, as a founder and not having any girlfriends that are yeah. our founders, really, in my close circle, you know, a lot of them just... Work, you know, nine to five, so they can't really relate to that life um, yeah. or having a network of other founders. Like I think what you're doing with this podcast is incredible. Um, just people to support you and make yeah. you feel like you're not crazy because yeah. it can be very isolating. Um, you know, and I'm lucky that I have two other founders, but for any of the, you know, solo founders out there, it is yeah. so so hard, so incredible that you're doing that. And so, yeah, just finding either a therapist or a network or something to kind of support you along the way is my third totally. one. No,
3: that's, those are all great. And I actually think I'm going to start doing that thing in the morning because it is really it's
2: huge.
3: Yeah.
2: I'll have days. It's, it's such a huge difference. Like days where I, you know, wake up and my alarms on my phone. Right. So then immediately I yep. see all my notifications and it's almost like that you know, that split second where you're like, well, I'll just check this one email. And then it's like 45 minutes later, I'm late. You know, it's just, it sets yeah. you up on the wrong foot.
3: And then I'm mean, even like the the stats on Pinterest. It's right. just, yeah. and, and there's nothing I'm going to do or no reason. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Okay. Well, yeah. all of this has been amazing advice, Allie. Thank you so much. And everyone go, I mean, where do you want people to buy it from you on Amazon and store? Like what's the best place to direct people?
2: Yeah. So Whole Foods, were on the West Coast, like SoCal and the Northeast and Florida. Okay. So kind of ran and it was kind of like tricky to say that. So probably easiest if you're listening is just our website, which is queen.co um, or Amazon Prime. We're everywhere. Um, yeah. A K. And,
3: dot yes.
2: K-W-E-E-N dot C-O. Yeah.
3: Um, and just enjoy the granola butter. Allie, thank you so much. Thank um, you. This is so fun. There were so many things. I took a lot of notes. Um, Jess, thank you for engineering. And um, I have a couple more episodes before winter break. So all of you guys listening, thank you. Thanks always for your notes and your DMs um, and your LinkedIn things. And people are finding us. So that's really fun. Um, And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast.